before we start our podcast today, I do want to apologize for the lower quality sound due to the pandemic as well as New England weather. We do have to record entirely through the phone. So bear with us and hopefully we'll return to normalcy sometime soon and be able to get the quality of the audio back up. Hello and welcome back to RMI's Rants, Raves, and Rentals podcast. It's been a little while since our last broadcast, I suppose. And so I am your host, Stephanie Fritz, here with my co-host, Joe Lyman. And today we're going to be doing kind of a a check-in, a pulse on the economy. We're going to talk about kind of the overall general effects um, currently that, you know, the pandemic and what the economy is doing. Then we'll talk about the effects that has had on business, a little recent news about vaccines, and then an outlook of the timeline. What, when, when are we going to be back to normal and what that might look like? Before we get into that, I do just want to say um, any opinions said, mentioned, represented today are mine and Joe's, and they are not representations of RMI as a company. So with that, Joe, I know you did a lot of research kind of on the just what, what the economy is doing and the stock market and all that. So what what did you find? What What are the feelings of the business world on the state of things? <laughs> yeah, um, the stock market... Surprisingly, I think this is the sense of overall uh, commentators on it that it was pretty, you know, uh, stable in terms of behavior uh, as it was pre-pandemic. So, in other words, it didn't, like, tank and suffer really bad after the pandemic. It kind of people, I think, who invest in stocks kind of looked how they could tinker with their strategy um, because of the pandemic. In other words, you know, um, looking at hotel companies and cruise lines and knowing that uh, stocks that tanked, those ones, you know, are going to have a long-term recovery. Uh, And then certainly uh, investment in stocks in biomedical companies that were working on solutions and vaccinations. So I think, like, overall, um, you know, certainly there was the volatility recently with the game store. Uh, GameStop, uh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> But really that had nothing to do with the pandemic. And overall it kind of was business as usual for the stock market. Um, you know, professional analysts might disagree with me here and there, but I think that's the general sense, which was interesting given yeah. the really how how much of an impact it had globally on everyone's day to day. Yeah, I I I guess disagree and agree with you because definitely looking at my own stocks in March, they tanked like tank, mm. tank, tanked. And everyone was trying to get out on the way down, not knowing how far it was gonna fall. And luckily I don't know why. Maybe I was just so distracted by, you know, the worldwide pandemic. I didn't actually look at my investments until recently. Um, and so by that time, like you said, there, there, if, if people didn't look between, you know, March and like September, then they would have felt okay because it recovered almost all of what it had lost. And I think that GameStop thing is so fascinating. And I'm not going to lie. I did get in on that hype a little bit. I bought a share. <laughs> 
Um, I agree. I got, I got in the hype of Moderna and bought some shares. <laughs> oh well, you're you probably did much better. I mean, I I think I bought two actually. Yeah, and then I I did sell one for a profit, but that's not what this is about. Um, the other one was kind of about like you know stick it to the man, but um. Yeah. Anyway, I thought that was fascinating because in one of the articles that you sent me about all this, it was saying how, you know, Outlook is actually really positive and people think that this boom market is going to continue. So, you know, I'm not going to say that um, the pandemic was a good thing because obviously I think we can all agree it sucked and sucks currently. But it's interesting that the stock market, I, you know, from my time as a financial planner, I really think it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy kind of thing. And it's a game of momentum. And if everyone thinks that it's going to be a good thing and it's going good places, it goes good places because suddenly more people are investing in the stock market. And that yeah. article that you shared is that's what it said. Like more um, young people than ever are getting into the stock market and not just general stocks. They're getting into options, too which is part of what that whole GameStop thing was, was that the hedge fund companies had shorted the stock and this Reddit page, for those of you that aren't familiar with this, um, said basically there's there, they shorted so many shares of stock that when they have to buy it back, there's just gonna, there's not enough stock or something like that. So anyway, it blew up the price because then all these Redditors were like, I'm going to get in on this. And buy up all the stock and the price went up because everyone's buying. And anyway, I, again, that's not what this is about today, but it just goes to show that there is a really positive outlook. If you use the stock market to look at the economy as a whole, there's really positive attitude out there. So even though some of the things we may talk about later aren't as positive, um, I think, Joe, to your point, like it's it's kind of maintaining and there's been some good growth. And I think that growth is going to continue. Yeah, and I think you're right. Um, March definitely was an anomaly. I should have mentioned that. Um, but your your point about the positivity, even with, um, you know, the day that Pfizer announced that they were ready to go, just the stock market immediately reacted, ramped up, and it was that positive, you know, feeling like, okay, we're going to be back to normal, and eventually today's a good day to to get, you know, back to to buying and selling and trading. Um, and so uh, same with when uh, AstraZeneca announced and uh, it seems to be every time there's a positive news on the vaccine front, the stock market gets positive. Yeah. yeah. Although, and I think this might be a, a symptom of the positive outlook, but I have noticed in um, some of the other articles, um, there's also maybe it's because of a positive outlook that things are looking up, but I'm also noticing the general public is kind of, getting fatigued with, um, you know, COVID precautions. Um, do you recall the article you had about a, a supermarket getting rid of arrows or something? Yeah, um, that was something that was um, out of Carlisle, Pennsylvania, uh, giant supermarkets. They, um, they just reacted to customer complaints that basically said, you know, our shopping time is reduced because we have to go through um, this kind of uh, labyrinth maze or whatnot. That was feedback that their their customers gave to that chain in Pennsylvania. And so the um, management there said, okay, we're going to keep all of the other precautions in place, the, you know, spatial distance at the checkout and the face mask wearing and the sanitizer as you walk in. But the arrows we're going to 
we're going to do away with that, which is interesting to me because I always thought that too when I was when I was shopping just to to be like, oh, I have to get this aisle, but I would have to run around, you know, the entire aisle to go back the right way, and I'd just check to make sure that no one was near me, and I'd run quick and snatch it off the, yeah. <laughs> the shelf. And it was down the backs, you know, the forefront of the mind was just in my mind was, you know, I just wanted to be to get out of there as quickly and and to shop as efficiently as possible, which is something I think that everyone's thinking of during the pandemic where pre-pandemic people people didn't approach it like that and would take their time. So I thought yeah. that was interesting to see that that supermarket chain did that. Although, so I shop kind of the same as you, though I I did that pre-pandemic. I was like, I just want to run in, get what I need and run out. And it didn't make sense to me that in a time of a pandemic, you're forcing people to be in the store longer. You know, you'd think, you know, if someone is yeah. going to spread something that you'd want them in and out quickly. But again, I, I understand the need for order. And so, but I'm, I'm glad, I guess, that there is a, a comfort now with people that enough people complained that, you know, now there's enough comfort nationwide that the company felt comfortable re responding to those complaints and saying, yeah, I guess we can do away with the arrows. Right. Right. And I was going to talk about this later, but I do think that that's true as well, that there's kind of a nationwide easing. Um, Cause I think I heard on the radio on the way in today that um, Biden was looking at reopening schools like this month, which I know a lot of schools are back in person anyway, but. Um, right. So that's, that's yeah. a good thing. I hope. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting too. I mean, typically it had a bad, as it always was with with schools, is more often than not municipality driven in making their decisions. So, you know, it's rare that something that has to happen on the federal level in terms of decision making for schools um, regarding their day to day. So, yeah, it is interesting that that the president is is starting to put a dog in the fight over this this argument. And I think two folks look at it as like, oh, of course, learning is better uh, person to person and frontline workers have to go back and aren't teachers considered frontline workers. But, you know, the debate, I think, with the teachers was, was obviously, well, no, you know, teenagers sometimes and younger kids aren't as cautious. So... Um, teachers yeah, they'll are, right into your eyeballs. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, a little Speaking bit more level of responsibility at you know kids, kids in general. Yeah. So, that so that's for teachers and unions. That's a really interesting point, actually. So, I wonder if, like, obviously the radio didn't have a super amount of details, but I wonder if if the the Biden administration is going to issue like an order, like you have to reopen schools. Cause you're right. It, it kind of should be at the municipality level. Like, you know, this town has really high rates and it's just not a good idea, but federal government said you have to, or, you know, this place, you know, has really low, whatever, like it kind of should be a municipality thing. So maybe he's just going to issue a recommendation. I don't know. Yeah. It'd be interesting to think. But we were also, Joe and I were really interested, sorry, <laughs> shifting my audience focus, um, we're really interested to hear what our customers had to say and um, what our prospective customers had to say. 
So as we were going through like our regular phone calls in our job, um, we actually were asking people, you know, what are your feelings right now? And granted, oof, we've been planning for this episode for months now. So I think, when was it, Joe? Like November or something? It was before the end of the year that we were asking people this. Um, so keep in mind, this information is now a couple months old. But um, Joe, do you have that data for what, what people said? Yeah, I do. And um, just to preface it, it was trickier than we thought to get people to talk to us. I think like maybe... It, we were talking Stephanie and I about like, all right, what should, you know, what should I have for a strategy when I first pose, will you take part in our survey? Because I think it's such a delicate topic of what business owners are doing with their staff and just talking about COVID in general that a lot of folks were first thing that they said was no, thank you, sorry, no, thank you, but yeah, eventually. Our segue into it, uh, eventually people started to participate once we changed the method of spring. I did find that interesting, and I wonder why, and I'd appreciate if any listeners want to, like, comment and give feedback, but I did wonder why um, people were so hesitant to give their opinions. I mean, they, like, our, we gathered the information anonymously. Like, we're just giving answers, no company names or anything, but... Um, right. Yeah, maybe maybe because it became a politically charged thing, and they, I don't yeah. know, I don't know. But anyway, maybe folks. Yeah, when I eventually I changed it to explain that, you know, I work, we work for a software company, and then they started to say okay. But I think when I originally started talking, they thought I was maybe press, and was like, okay, I don't want to talk to press. But so once we eventually got folks to do our survey, the questions that we asked them. Um, or what changes did they put in place due to COVID? Um, you know, if it was directional signs, disinfecting, um, the plexiglass, buying face shields. Um, the second question was, will they require their employees to be vaccinated? Um, do you have any plans to resume business as usual this year, meaning employee parties, um, holiday this was in november that we started so we said holiday parties and then the summer uh conventions or conferences personal travel plans so um asking about their business as usual on those fronts and we asked them did they use or apply for any grants or loans that were available we asked them if they had to lay off anyone during covid and finally just had them say a one word or one sentence about how they were feeling about next year, meaning 2021. So it was interesting what the, the biggest takeaway I got was just how uniform the answers were. They seemed to to be very similar, very comparable um, for all of the folks that spoke to us. And um, certainly in the first question there about changes that they implemented, it seemed everyone was, you know, as, um, as we thought, that rearranging stores was something that happened. Arrows on the floor, using face masks, using sanitizer, plexiglass shields. So all those examples that we gave are, uh, are what, what stores uh, utilize. One thing, given that we were calling rental companies, probably the most interesting of all the answers was what I did see as well when I went to companies that rented was they had a specific designated location for you know taking out the inventory so i'm guessing that's because it's being exchanged in hands and making sure that 
when it gets returned, it gets sanitized. So they had a special place in their store for strictly handling rental items. And then when I uh, asked about the vaccination, that seemed to be one where there, I mean, people, no, not thinking about it, no, I won't, I don't know. Um, so that was kind of something that at the time in November when we were calling, it wasn't really in the for forefront of people's minds. Uh, when we asked about business as usual, you know, parties, certainly a lot of people, either they didn't have any parties planned or, yes, they canceled their holiday party. Um, you know, this is kind of rental companies that they were calling. So, you know, it might not be a big corporate environment where people throw their typical holiday party, but um, those that did cancel them. And then conventions, uh Folks said that, yeah, they were not going to conventions this year, which is um, interesting because, um, you know, a lot of the convention, the convention, the conference industry tried as best they could to do everything online so people could still go to their yearly conference. Personal travel, a lot of folks, you know, said no, that they canceled the personal travel. They didn't have any. And when talking about the grants, um, and the loans, a lot of people that we spoke to, you know, said that back in March they first looked into it and then it was a no-go for them. Then they just concentrated on just ramping up their business, making sure their business didn't, didn't sink. But no one ever said, yeah, I applied to, for a grant, I applied for a loan. And one company even said, actually, there was a business boom for us. Um, no one had layoffs of all the people that I spoke to. And a lot of the responses that I got from the companies on their one-word feeling seemed to be mostly the same, uh, on uncertainty, unsure, um, but hopeful, um, hope for a better 2021, optimistic, feeling good, um, optimist, optimistic. So, um, yeah, as I, as I said, very similar responses. Um, it was very little variance in them. Yeah, I I always joke when I talk with people now, like, um, well, at least in January, I would say like, oh, you know, Happy New Year, you know, may we never speak of 2020 again. Um, yeah. And it kind of is like the year that never happened. I realized when I was like talking to some of my friends, I they had gotten a new house or something, and they had gotten their new house in 2019. But I was like, oh, did you like, you know, get that? Didn't you just get a new house? And they were like, that was 2019. It's right. like 2020. We just like, it was such a weird time. Um, right. But I wanted to remark right. on what you said about handling inventory um, in two regards. One, um, I'm going to mention this a little bit later as well, but um, I sat in on a portable storage forum, which um, portable storage, you know, the, the renting and selling of basically those big 40 foot shipping containers is one of the industries that we serve. And it's a such a big driver of all the other industries. And I know you have an article about Pelotons that I want to hear about next, Joe. But um, what you said about like the where they differed was how they're handling inventory. Some had to add a, a disinfecting step into like their, you know, when they receive one rental back and the next one goes out. Um, what some portable storage companies were doing was basically like creating a holding area in their yard since the virus can live on surfaces for three days when they would get a, a container back. 
rather than allocating their precious personnel to, you know, disinfect it, they would just basically let it sit there for three days. And then after that, it could go back out. So that was just an interesting tidbit that I remembered. Um, but tell me about um, Pelotons. And then I want to go further into portable storage and how that actually affects every single industry um, that our listeners are a part of. Yeah, Peloton um, was a company certainly that was interesting um, given all of this discussion on how companies are doing in COVID because certainly uh, whether or not you've heard about it, but only one can imagine given the fact that um, Peloton had a presence before COVID of people finding about out about this new way to exercise where you got the screen and there's interactive uh, and wait, to interrupt just really quick, um, sure. a Peloton is, is basically a, a bike with a screen and group classes on the screen, right? Yeah, like a, yeah. a, an indoor bike? Yeah, it's an indoor bike. Um, and, um, yeah, the the different thing about it is that you connect with people all over the world that at that time you, you feel like you're in a gym class, you know, at the gym where someone's leading it and you're competing somewhat against the folks in uh, over a video conference essentially so uh what what happened with peloton is certainly one can imagine uh when the pandemic broke out their business boomed because gyms closed or people were at home working and not exercising as much as they wanted to and not being able to go outside and, and play sports so that company certainly uh forbes had um had shown that um, reported that their revenue spiked at the end of March, 66%, just at the end of March. And um, what happened is their supply chain, which they had historically had a little bit of difficulty with it before the pandemic, just getting out such a clunky object to, to consumers, that it really, there was a, there was a slow order to delivery times when the pandemic happened and they had to to slow down uh, their sales um, because of uh, the shipping of it, which um, they're a New York City-based company, but um, the their items are, are assembled in Taiwan. So it was the container industry that they utilized uh, overseas. And, and that, you know, that said, we can't ship the way we did back to normal until 2021. So, um, yeah, and then they had to buy a company that was based in Seattle that dealt strictly with um, selling bikes and exercise equipment to the hospitality industry, to hotels. So gyms that you use when you stay at a hotel, they bought um, they bought a company, uh, Precore, just so they had someone that did things like this, shipping domestically. So they brought them on to help them out with that, which is interesting, the, the adjustments that Peloton had to make during the pandemic. And they, the fact that their supply chains got so delayed, like I think that article was from like October or September. Was, or yeah. Yeah, um, September. And they were saying like, yeah, we will probably, even after buying a, a Peloton-owned manufacturer for their equipment, they still were saying, yeah, we'll probably start to approach more normal schedules in 2021. So like they were already like months ahead. And I actually meant to mention this when we were talking about the stock market, that the pandemic, you know, what's what's the saying? Um, 
necessity is the mother of invention or something like that, um, or of innovation. The pandemic forced like the revolutionizing of so many industries. And that I think is part of why the stock market boomed because just there are so many companies like people are working from home. So you have booming home workout device sales now and dumbbells and all that. And now every company has to be virtual. Every company has to offer delivery. And like, there's so much more infrastructure in place. Like if, if something like this happens again, um, that I just, I think is fascinating. But anyway, to your point about the supply chain being delayed, I'm actually going to read you all um, something that the president of the National Portable Storage Association um, sent around because I just thought that, you know, everyone is experiencing shipping delays right now. Everyone, every type of company, because if you get your stuff manufactured anywhere but um, the U.S., and even in the case of the U.S., um, it's coming over here in containers. But the container factories are, by and large, in China, and um, they usually have, like, I don't know, three shifts or four shifts, and they're just constantly turning out containers. But they were very affected by the pandemic as well, and they actually went down to two shifts, so they were creating fewer containers. But anyway, I wanted to read this to you because it gives kind of an understanding of why your stuff is delayed, why everyone says, like, you know, pandemic may cause delays in shipping. So anyway, container factories have the ability to produce millions of containers in a single year, with more than 98% of those going to shipping lines, leasing companies, and major transportation companies. Now, um, my side note, keep in mind, this was written for people in the portable storage industry, but it's still applicable. The purchase of containers for the primary purpose of portable storage is not high on the priority list of container factories, especially when demand for equipment is very high within the international marketplace. You're seeing that today with your inability to get firm pricing. You don't care about that part. Um, um, so it's also hard to get a firm delivery date for new equipment in 2021. Of course, this all changes when factories are not booking space for their high priority customers. The cost of shipping your containers from a manufacturer to its destination is virtually free, but the price you pay is in the delivery timing. The delivery promise is only as good as the circumstances around the international shipping market and the type and quantity of cargo moving to its final destination. It's not a secret to know that your purchase price of containers is always very close to the production cost in China. Because the container is being used on its one-way trip to a final destination, the line must have cargo for that destination, and it must be cargo that fits in that size container. This is further complicated by the fact that a shipping line may not take that container if their own equipment imbalance is disrupted. If a liner needs 20-foot 20 20 containers in Minneapolis for export of cargo, then they're less likely to take a one-way 20-foot container from China to Minneapolis because then they won't have that container to export the equipment back out. Um, so that just kind of gives you an idea of what's happening in the background. And the result of all of that is these astronomically high um, freight costs as well. So there is there are fewer containers there is demand for a whole, there's a whole industry of just demand for wanting those empty containers, but they just can't get them because everywhere right. else is like, well, I need my equipment to go places. And um, right. there was an article by BBC that said um, it used to cost $2,500 to fill a shipping container with cargo. This was for, I think, a, a lighting company. Um, and now that cost is $14,000. 
because it costs a lot to get those big, heavy ships into a port. And so they're trying as hard as they can to skip small ports if they can. And it'll so it'll be, you know, 14,000 to deliver it here, but only 8,000 to deliver it to this port because it's a bigger port and they're dropping off more containers. So they're they're jacking up the price to try to lower demand, but it's just it's becoming unsustainable for these businesses. Um, And so, you know, basically we understand and we sympathize with our listeners because you're in all of these industries and you all, you know, probably rent, sell, service one of those or all of them equipment. And it's so hard to get new equipment or to know when it's going to come. And the used markets are bouncing all over the place because people are getting equipment wherever they can. Um, and it's really creating a problem. That's interesting. Yeah, I thought it was it, it was really helpful to, to know, but it's kind of an unfortunate thing. Right. Um, so I guess that that kind of segues us into when does this go back to normal? Is this this demand, this this bouncing around of supply and demand? Oh, by the way, um, there's a new outbreak in China. So that portable storage, that container manufacturing could either stay as low as it is or go lower if um, China shuts down different manufacturers or closes them early um, because they're trying to stagger how long it takes or not how long it takes. They're trying to stagger how many people are all going home at once. Um, So, yeah, that that probably won't ease up for a while from a business perspective until COVID is under control worldwide. So how do we get it under control with vaccines? And I guess herd immunity. But um, Joe, what do you got on vaccines? Yeah. Um, so now that the vaccines have been approved, um, you know the first few ones, and more and more companies are saying, you know, we can come up with one as well. Most notably, recently Johnson and Johnson trying to get in. Um, the back in November when. Uh, the first few ones started to to get more prominent notice. Um, the Wall Street Journal said, don't act the boost in global economy. Be patient thinking about how quickly we're going to be able to normal on the economic front. Um, and that they just simply cited the fact that knowing that, you know, to distribute um, these uh, vaccines and that um, and with that is when you're going to see um, business really recover. Um, it's not going to be okay. We've got this vaccine and now economy can recover. It really is going to be on par and at the same pace as when groups of people get their vaccination and we get closer and closer to to herd immunity and um you know the after effects of trying to return to normal um people being skittish about uh returning back into society full force and um and that having an, that element of it as well so that's what you know, the, the Wall Street Journal had reported back in November. Yeah, I looked at um, a little bit as well, um, just to see if, you know, there was a, a rosier outlook, you know, now. <laughs> yeah. um, 
But uh, basically, they're saying, like, look, we we thought the vaccines would be this effective and um, they are they're not at the 95 and 90 percent or whatever that they were at when they came out of trials. But they're still like 70 percent and above. But the problem that they're seeing is that now there are three variant, I think three variants, at least three of the coronavirus out there. And um, one of them is more infectious, but less serious. Um, one of them, like it started in South Africa or something is actually, um, the, the vaccine is only like 49 to 57% effective against it. And so they're worried about when that one becomes more widespread, um, because not too many people have that yet in the U S but so there's, there's still some concern about, about that, but you know, the, the tone of the article was still get vaccinated, um, right. you know, it'll probably, it's kind of like what people say about the flu vaccine. Like, look, it may not prevent you from getting it totally, but it'll keep you out of the hospital or keep you from dying. So that's right. kind of what it's sounding like at this point. Um, yeah. so and just the nature of vac or the nature of the relationship between vaccines and, and viruses. Um, you know, even before we knew about COVID that every time the, flu season would come in it's well the vaccine might not be um, the same as what it was because um, the virus is mutated and that's what viruses do you know and so um, we saw that at the beginning of COVID where there was a big concern that you know COVID went into the mink the animal the mink and then caused a new mutation and now we're seeing okay parts of England had a mutation, parts of South Africa had a mutation. And I didn't that hear that mutation. it was because of a mink? Well it was you know the originally uh virus rodents I don't want to use the word I'm not a scientist but cross pollination of a pangolin <laughs> which is like an aardvark in in um Asia and a bat. Um because of the wet markets there there was close proximity between those animals. And, and then it went to the mink. This was back in, I want to say, the summer. Um, but even among people, people, humans, you know, the 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 um, virus will mutate, and they notice them in particular geographic areas. So, um, you know, I think it was Dr. Fauci. That was his main concern. I think a couple of weekends ago was, you know, we don't want this new variant, this new mutation to become the dominant one, you know, if these vaccines are are starting to handle the previous one that we had worked on. So I think that's the concern for the well-known scientists to be cautious of that, um, you know, yeah. but the closer, the closer we get to herd immunity, the better. Yeah. That actually, that reminds me, this is totally off, well, not totally off topic, but just something really fascinating that I learned. Um, so vaccines really are the reason why humanity can live in cities. That and like, you know, indoor plumbing. But, um, and actually this, this, uh, tangent of a tangent, um, they're starting to see medieval age diseases pop up in California because of the homeless problem there. Um, because there's, there's just so many. And obviously, you know, homeless people don't have indoor plumbing. They have to do their business where their business can right. be done. And, um, yeah, they're seeing medieval diseases crop up. So that's, anyway, that's a conversation for another time and not this podcast. But, um, 
Anyway, vaccines and indoor plumbing are the reasons why people can live in cities. And way back when, when like cities were, and unfortunately I'm terrible with dates, so I don't know if way back when means like the very first cities or if it means like very, very early New York City kind of thing. Um, right. But um, way back when, whenever that was, um, people were the the death basically um cities were not sustainable population wise the only reason populations kept growing was because people kept migrating to cities but if people did not migrate the death rate of people from plagues and illness was greater than the birth rate of new people despite how many people lived in cities um and so vaccines and again indoor plumbing is the reason why people can all live together now. So even though, you know, RMI is in Connecticut, we're, you know, slightly more rural, even Hartford is very, very small by city standards. Um, you know, we, people may have different perspectives depending on where they are in the country, but you know, when you do have a bunch of people stuffed together in apartment buildings and whatever, it's, it's, it is a different, um, uh, you know, ecosystem, I guess, right, right, than, than right. you know, out in rural Connecticut. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I just always thought that was interesting that people could not, cities were a dirty place to be and people died more than yeah. were birthed. Um, but anyway, yeah. that, that does kind of transition us to what, what is normal going to look like? When can we be out and about and again? When will we hit that herd immunity? When will, um, you know, vaccines be dispersed? Which, Gosh, I'm just full of tangents today. Um, I did actually love that apparently um, 7,500 or something like that healthcare workers that had been vaccinated got to go to the Super Bowl. I thought that was very nice. Yeah, um, that was good to see. Yeah. That and um, Brady. You know, I've never mm -hmm. been a New England Patriots fan, but I can acknowledge a great quarterback when I see one. What do they call him? Yeah. Tommy Touchdown. He did a good job. <laughs> Yeah, there was a. I'm from outside Boston originally, and pretty much it's the you know Commonwealth of Mass mandate that you are a patriot. <laughs> There's a debate locally as to should you support Tom now on the Buccaneers or you know should you see him as a traitor? So that was the fun stuff going on with the local radios. And I was you know I don't know I was kind of. You know, he's such a great athlete, so I was on Team Tom, but I kind of was like, well, it'd be nice if he only won the Super Bowls with New England and not any other team. So I was a little torn. But alas, he's just a good player all around, so what are you going to do? <laughs> yeah. um, so I'm a big Sir Williams fan, too, so I saw that she was getting a shout-out that she should be on the GOAT list as well. Who as, should? Um, you know, Serena Williams, that, that Tom's win this year definitely solidifies his GOAT, the greatest of all gotcha. time. Yes. Jordan and his sport and Gretzky and Serena Williams got a big rally on Twitter saying we got to put her on that list as well. So that was great. Yeah, my husband is actually, he's tried so hard to be a fan of whom the team he lovingly calls the Washington Dumpster Fire. Um, but even he was like, you know what? Tom Brady, greatest of all time. The man's running out of fingers for his Super Bowl rings. But right. um, I'm sorry, we digress again. This is totally my fault. Um, so actually, Joe, I'm interested to hear what your timeline information was, because again, we started preparing for this, panda this pandemic, this podcast episode um, months ago. So what was the timeline like for recovery then? And I have 
some newer information so we can kind of compare contrast. So um, yeah, as most of the the um, the data was kind of pulled together in November, um, that the timeline recovery was was kind of just um, they're thinking that uh, mid mid summer is when they'll see the unemployment rate uh, return to to normal or to to the levels that it was was back in March. So just being able to calculate that um, just quickly, I'm trying to see where I got that. I think there was Bloomberg um, news outlet reported that. So that's interesting to see if you know if, if the unemployment rate is an indicator of anything of return to normalcy. They're they're saying that midsummer is when it will turn to what it was in February March of 2020, which I think was like around 3.6 percent. Do you know what we're at right now? I don't know. I don't offhand. And I think the article that I I saw that they started to project that with was back in November, so it's probably not accurate as to what it would be now that we're in February. But Okay, the power of the Internet. While you were talking, I looked it up. So um, in January, the unemployment rate fell by 0.4, so it's at 6.3%. So not quite where they thought. Right, right. Um, so right now, because of, you know, obviously in November, there were not these new strains, and we were just starting to see the rollout of the vaccines. Um, right now, they're saying these new strains of the coronavirus could throw a huge wrench in these timelines. And they kept saying that throughout the article that I was reading, like, but I don't know. It could be this, but... So keep that in mind. But basically, they were saying um, for, you know, in general, across the board, we're probably looking at the start of a return to normalcy in second quarter of 2021. Although we won't really see any significant herd immunity um, from the vaccine or people that, you know, got the illness um, until the third or fourth quarter. And um, they made a good point that because there is, you know, hesitation about, you know, caution around the vaccine, some people don't want to take it, that getting, you know, herd immunity up to 60% will be a lot easier than getting from 60% to 80%. Um, so interesting point there. Um, but basically, second quarter is when things will be approaching normalcy. And that truly just means... Um, you know, nationally, when things will start to ease up, maybe restaurants can have more people in them. Um, going back to what we were saying about businesses and the manufacturing, I, I am not a professional, but based on what I'm seeing, it really doesn't sound like we can expect that to pick up till probably third or fourth quarter. That's my completely unprofessional opinion, just based on the articles that we've been reading, um, because there are so many things. And it's not like even once, um, you know, uh, China restores its normal manufacturing schedule, like when coronavirus is totally under control, there's going to be such a backlog of demand that those prices aren't going to go down for a while. So um, buckle in, I guess. Keep being frugal. It's it's right. good to be hopeful, but, um, you know, make good choices in the meantime. Right. Um, and also that we, the prediction for the future of the coronavirus is obviously, you know, once we reach that herd immunity point, does COVID go away? 
no, not really. Um, so what they're thinking is that it may remain endemic, like the measles, where developed countries would have intermittent limited outbreaks, um, whereas there would still be significant cases of the disease ongoing elsewhere where they, you know, have more limited vaccine access. Um, and basically what this article said, and actually I'm going to quote it here, is that um, normalcy will mean accepting it as a, quote, baseline disease burden in society, end quote, um, like the flu. So, you know, every winter we know people get the flu and, you know, we wash our hands a little more and, you know, we try to be conscious of that. So basically they're saying even with all of these vaccines, which, you know, we have a flu vaccine, too, but similarly to the flu, this is mutating. Um, so, again, normalcy will start to ease up or begin in the second quarter. Um, but because we won't reach herd immunity till the third or fourth, which I don't know, I don't know how China, what China's access to vaccine is like throughout or where their manufacturing companies are. But, um, yeah, basically, coronavirus isn't going away. Normalcy is going to mean getting it under control now and then just accepting that it's going to pop up maybe seasonally, but we're going to see it. Um, so, yeah, not an extremely rosy outlook. I'm glad the stock market is hopeful. Um, you know, I'm I'm hopeful. I'm glad that, you know, we've got a vaccine out and, um, you know, vulnerable communities are taking it. And it sounds like even with these new strains, it's going to avoid hospitalizations and deaths. But, um, yeah, that's um, the, the COVID situation is going to keep a stranglehold on us businesses for, for a while yet. Right. So hopefully there'll be adjustments now that we know the drill, you know, now right, that we know right. what one year looks like. One of the things that we talked about, too, was just when the winter started coming, restaurants wanted folks to go and still use restaurants in the heat lamp business, the heat lamp rental business That's right. got really backed up. So, you know, hopefully now, now that we know what one year looks like, people will know how to prepare if we have to, you know, have limited dining next winter. Uh, or whatever industry, um, you know, the adjustments that they had to make, we know what one year with COVID looks like. So, <laughs> Yeah, and with what these lead times will be, um, if you're not already, start planning your summer inventory, summer, and maybe even next year um, if, if you have the budget for it, because I know everyone really got hit hard. So, um, you know, hang in there and right. – Thanks for listening. Joe, do you have anything to add before we kind of wrap up here? No, just be safe, everyone. Yeah. All right. So as always, um, you can find out more about RMI at rmiusa.com. Um, and if I don't know where you're hearing this Rants, Raves, and Rentals podcast, but you can subscribe. I believe it's on Spotify, Google Podcasts, um, Anchor, anywhere you can get your podcasts. Um, check us out. We are on Twitter. We're on Facebook. We're on LinkedIn. Um, feel free to like or follow. And please, if you have questions, comments, criticisms, let us know. Comment on the videos. Reach out to us through social media. And um, again, keep your chin up. Be safe. And we'll talk to you all again soon. This call has been recorded.